This is episode 37 with Victor Agreta Jr. Welcome to the Apitalize on Your Idea podcast, helping you bring any idea to fruition. Now, here's the guy who makes it all happen while keeping his day job, Justin Escar. What's up, Apitalizers? Welcome to another awesome episode of Apitalize on Your Idea, the podcast. I'm your host, Justin Escar. Thanks for being here. Today, we have a great episode. Today, we have a good friend of mine, uh, Victor Agreta Jr. is on. Victor and I met when he was the editor-in-chief of the unofficial Apple web blog, which I did some work for back in the day. And now that the unofficial Apple web blog is no more, uh, he has moved on to some other things, such as Angry Dad Gamer. Now, the reason I brought him on today is Victor is not only a web blogger, but he's also a comedian and a magician. And, and what he has done through comedy and magic, he has done through his websites. And what I mean by that is he has been able to tell a story. And that's what today's episode is all about. As a magician, you tell a story by doing tricks in a specific order. Um, you lead people in one direction, you show them something else. You have to be able to tell the story with those magic tricks. And Victor does the same for his clients as well as his own work at Angry Dad Gamer. He tells these stories, and he, and you'll hear through our interview how he started off as a game designer. And he worked his way through being a commenter on a blog, then running the blog, and now that the that is done moving on to the next thing and you'll hear his story and how he helps find ways to take your ideas and tell the story about them excellent so without further ado listen to today's interview with victor agreta jr what's up capitalizers i'm here with a good friend of mine mr victor agreta jr he's the executive producer at super pixel studios uh this guy's great i love him i'm so glad to have him on victor what's up dude How's it going, Justin? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? Very well. Good. So, uh, just a little background. Victor used to be my boss, actually, when I used to do web videos for the unofficial Apple web blog a couple years back, and actually just recently spoke at the ACES conference that we had a couple weeks ago in New Orleans, and he crushed it, which was awesome. We got some positive feedback on you. Um, Victor is a, a producer. He does all these like web series and he's also a magician and a comedian right it's yeah a man of many talents you do a lot of things <laughs> would you say that your best magic trick is your ability to balance all of your stuff <laughs> i i would say that if that were true but you know as an entrepreneur you probably know that so often it's like spinning plates right and you by the time you're down to the end of the line you have to get jump back to the beginning before that one gets wobbly and starts to fall off oh absolutely especially if you're doing so much stuff like absolutely like what you're doing so let's so a lot of people probably don't know who you are uh let's tell your tell your story a little bit sure i uh you know you know me from the unofficial apple weblog and i did that for about 9 years uh, started early on as a commenter on Tua. And at the time, I, I really loved this part because I think that a lot of uh, comment sites or a lot of comments sections are missing this now. But the bloggers at the time were able to rate the comments, um, and, you know, give them like star ratings basically. 
And so commenters ended up, you had a leaderboard of who were the highest rated, who were the most prolific, and who were the highest rated. I was not the most prolific, but I was the highest rated. And really, it was sort of like being a community moderator on a forum, you know, or a message board or something like that. And so uh, I had applied to write for Tua. Believe it or not, I wasn't accepted at first. <laughs> but they had me help launch. So I was a launch writer for Download Squad. And that was really amazing because I got to two other people helped out with that David Chartier. Uh, well, a few other people, but uh, Jordan Running, and then our editor at the time was actually Mark Purton. And Mark went on, he actually came back to Engadget uh, just a few years ago to help out with the transition, and uh, he went to go work at Consumer Reports for a while as well. And Mark's expertise was really, really critical, I think, for establishing a tone and what we were going to do. So when AOL bought Weblogs, uh, which which had been founded by Jason Calacanis and Brian Alvey, they hired you know three or four people full time, and then I was one of the like I don't know fifth or sixth I think full timers to be absorbed into the amoeba, and you know because now you've got corporate funding and all that sort of thing, and actually when I started I started managed by managing like I think six or seven sites believe it or not, oh. yeah and. Um, you know, but we we were this far flung sort of organization at the time, and really we you know, my my role at the time was just kind of make sure the trains run on time, and we had people in positions of leadership in each one of those sites, but uh, it was interesting over nine years. You know, the landscape changed considerably, and uh, I'm not sure how the vote went down, but I saw that Gawker yesterday the writers were voting to unionize or not. Um, I mean that. Would have never happened. When I started out with weblogs, I was making $4 a post. <laughs> I mean, and you could, uh, you know, apply, say, hey, I've worked five hours on this, you know, give, and you'd get maybe 10 bucks. you know. It was, it was kind of ridiculous. Right. Um, but that was, you know, 10 years ago. Uh, so, yeah, we, we, I, I ended up, the last site that AOL had not killed off was Tua. So for the past few years, that's what I've been focused on. And uh, and even with that, you know, a lot of stuff changed with the rise of social media versus search as a sort of a primary driver for new uh, visitors. So you know, we had to relearn a lot of stuff. We had to learn as we went, and uh, it was exciting as hell. I mean, it was super fun. But my background wasn't just in writing. My background was also in filmmaking, and uh, I taught multimedia and game design. That's what I was doing when I, I started writing. Uh, for weblogs. And so I kind of wanted to get back to that. And that's why I founded Superpixel Studios, which was I'd had the domain superpixel.com since 1999 and was working on the idea of, you know, you start with a pixel. Today, you can do anything. And this was, I mean, 1999, 3D printers weren't really readily available. So it's even more so now. You know, I mean, you can print 2D and 3D now. Um, you know, but you really can. You go from the computer, you can do anything, right? So with Superpixel Studios, we're trying to do a few different sort of video projects. And, and the first big one, of course, is Angry Dad Gamer, which is both a Twitch TV live stream. Uh, about We do about five, six shows a week. Right now we're kind of in a slow period because we've got WWDC coming up. So I'm going to be out of town. But uh, And reviews. We've got a YouTube channel as well, so it has reviews of uh, games and hardware and, and other things. 
so that's our first thing. We're working on some documentaries and, and whatnot as well. And, uh, and that's what I want to do. I want to tell stories um, for people about their product or their company and whatnot. And, and I found that at Tua, that was one of the most enjoyable aspects of the job was bringing in developers and having them talk about how they made their company or why they made their app or product or whatever. And uh, it's been fun. I mean, that's really important. You know, we just had um, Tony Bertesio on. He was telling kind of the same thing where it really is all about the story because with so much content out there right now and so many people fighting for the attention of the consumer, right, you have to tell an engaging story that touches on so many levels. And, like, that's kind of like what you're doing now, yeah? Yeah, exactly. I mean, w one of the things that I think uh, we failed at with Tua, especially in the past few years, was sort of explaining that narrative to people. Because, you know, like I said, it, it changed. You know, we were all bloggers back in the day, and we were proud of the fact that we didn't work at the Wall Street Journal, that we were enthusiasts that had deeper knowledge than your average tech journalist, you know, who was covering Apple. So we weren't just covering the news. We were telling you how to do things. Um, I think that since that changed over time, we didn't really do a good job of telling our own story of like, look, we're not just here to give you scoops about what the next Apple product's going to be. We're, we're here to actually help you because we're your neighbor that you call over when your hard drive crashes. And, uh, and I always thought that was compelling, you know, a, as, a, as a story. It's like we're citizen journalists. We're actually not, you know, embedded. We don't live in San Francisco. We don't, we don't attend all the events that Apple puts on. We don't even get invited to those events, actually. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think another thing that's been critical to look at is crowdfunding. And if you talk to anyone who knows anything about crowdfunding, when you are putting your pitch out there, you have to tell a story. And that's what engages people. Don't just say, oh, we want to do this for the kids or whatever. It's like, well, uh, you know, anyone who's doing anything for the kids is doing it for the kids. Like, that, what the hell does that matter, right? Uh, what is it about these kids or what you are doing that's different and, and how can you emotionally hook somebody like that? Right. So real quick, before we talk about the crowdfunding thing, you, you were talking about how when at 2R you guys were trying to be the neighbor next door to help people. And I remember, I don't even remember how I started with you guys, but I remember I, I think, oh, maybe because I met Mike Rowe and then, and then, uh. Mm -hmm. And then you and I, and you were in the city because you had come up to New York City. So you and I had lunch one day at like that really crappy sushi place. And I was going to, and I started doing two while 101 videos. Right. And I remember like, so as an Apple consultant, like I was trying to help people and give people examples. And I made all these screencasts and do this stuff. And I remember like, I re unfortunately, because the internet is the internet, <laughs> I don't remember any of like the good comments where people were like oh this really helped i'm so glad i learned this i remember people being like why am i looking up this guy's nose <laughs> <laughs> and like all the all the trolls that would just like sit on the website and be like what the hell and then and then i mean look in all fairness i did it with like a 13 inch laptop in like my my one bedroom apartment in manhattan like i wasn't really doing high right production quality and I, it was fine when you know when when huffington post bought out aol and you were like we're gonna trim down and I was like, oh, and I was like, eh, that, that kind of makes sense. <laughs> but I remember getting my first check from AOL and being like, 
how do they afford this? Because my mom doesn't pay for internet anymore. (laughs) Where is this money coming from? But I mean, I had, I had a good time working for, for the unofficial uh, Apple web blog. And I've always kind of felt a little like when it closed down, maybe like two months ago, three months ago now, like, I was kind of, I felt a little bad. I was like, this is something I I worked on while I, even though I only worked on it for a short time. I knew you and I and I I knew Mike Rose, and uh, I kind of felt a little bad. But you know, that's that part of this and part of being an entrepreneur, especially being an appleizer, is being able to deal with things that have gone bad and and rise up from that. And I feel like that's what you're doing now with. Super Pixel Studios and and the Angry Dad Gamer and stuff like that. So let's talk a little bit more about Angry Gad, uh, Dad. I keep I keep saying Angry Gad Gamer, but it's Angry Dad Gamer. It's a bit early for anyone who's paying attention. You know these posts on Monday, but right now it's nine thirty in the morning on a Friday, and my my four month old was up pretty much all night long, so my head's not really in it. But um, Angry Dad Gamer. So so. This is just a, a web series that you put on every week. Yeah, uh, it, you know, it was it was kind of fascinating to me to look around and see that just first of all, I found out that Justin TV had pivoted to Twitch TV, and and I hadn't even I mean you know, I'd forgotten about Justin TV honestly, and I think a lot of people had, which is why they pivoted. <laughs> right. But um, and I remember seeing. In I think 2014, where they had a big Pokemon thing, then that was like a, a big magnet for Twitch. But then Amazon bought Twitch. Oh, really? I didn't even know that. Yeah, and that perked up my ears. I mean, that, I don't know that I would have done Angry Dad Gamer the way that I did it if Amazon had not bought Twitch, because I'm looking at a sort of a longer pull here, and and it's still so new that like you can tell that they. I mean, hell, they, I don't think they've migrated their servers over any of that stuff. Like, the, the ink was still fairly dry at the beginning of the year when I started doing this. And um, it's, a, it's a kind of a different thing for me. Like, I, while I do love video games and, I, you know, I taught game design, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be called what you would say is a, a hardcore gamer, right? Like, I don't spend eight hours uh, on, a, on a day just sitting there plowing through a game, you know, and... Uh, I like I said I love games for the artistry that goes into them and the work. I mean I think game design, AAA games. You look at Grand Theft Auto, the, the sort of project management that's involved in shipping something like that is not unlike sending someone to the moon. I mean there's a <laughs> considerable amount of engineering and artistic effort that goes into making those. There's incredible amount of work that goes into them. And then on top of that, you have to make everything fun, you know. Uh, it's really, really hard, and so I, I love that aspect of it, and I decided, you know, how can we do things a little bit differently than what's being done on Twitch, because 99% of what's on Twitch is a bearded guy in the corner playing a game, kind of sta- zoning out to it, and then maybe interacting with people in chat just a little bit in between, you know, runs or uh, assaults or whatever, and, uh, I thought, you know, what if this was more like a game show or like a talk show? Um, and I'm since I'm a comedian, I know a lot of comedy people, and and where I am, which is Knoxville, Tennessee, it's not a big market, but we have a lot of musicians, and you know, Tennessee in particular is big in music. In fact, Knoxville was the, originally the home of country music before Nashville became more popular, uh, and certainly more popular in the minds of people. But like a lot of country music actually got started here in Knoxville. So we have a rich music tradition. 
And my thinking was, well, let's bring artists in here, comedians, uh, you know, musicians, whatever, and have them play games, even if they're not gamers. Um, although a lot of people admit, like, oh, yeah, I, you know, I play some games and whatnot, especially when they're not on the road. And so bring them in here, have them play video games, and what I find is that they lower their guard a little bit, and so you can have a conversation about things, um, or just even talk about the game itself, and that, that reveals a lot of personality. And uh, it's a really intriguing way to just, you know, sit somebody in front of something. In, in a way, it's almost like those YouTube videos where it's like, you know, old people react to whatever. Right. But... At the same time, it, it just it lowers your guard a little bit. And so there's a really cool dynamic that happens uh, when we do these shows and I have someone here and we start talking about things. It's a lot of fun. Um, and, and I think the people who've watched it, we've had really good feedback from people because they're seeing folks that they normally would see play music or do comedy just sit here and have a good time. Do you let the, do you let the guests like pick the game and then depending on what game it is, you give them like a psych profile? <laughs> Sometimes that's, that's one thing that you know, and and again, you know, you're talking about uh, appalizing and whatnot. Th this is uh, part of that process of building a business. You know, is is testing, and then observing, and then making a course correction if you need to. Right. Um, I mean, that's true of any practice, right? A anything that you do in your life, you want to do it, observe what you've done, and then make any corrections that you need to make. Um, and so I tried it a couple of different ways. You know, give me a, a game list. We had five comics in here who were on tour, and each one of them gave me wildly different games. Uh, from a production standpoint, that's incredibly logistically difficult to do. So what we ended up doing was just say, hey, look, come in. We're going to give you Grand Theft Auto. We're going to give you a challenge in Grand Theft Auto and then go through that. And even people who don't play games like that had a lot of fun doing it. Because, you know, games are fairly approachable. They don't make them so that, you know, except for a few weird niche games. Like, most games like that, which want, they want to sell millions of them, uh, they make them approachable even for beginners. So it was, it was really fun to see people who's like, I haven't played video games since the 90s come in right. here and experience these things. And it was just super fun. I was just talking to somebody about, <clears throat> I don't remember if it was on the podcast or not, so someone's going to have to remind me. But I was just talking to somebody about um, Final Fantasy... I want to say it's five or maybe six for the original Final Fantasy six. So like whichever it was Final Fantasy two in Japan, that there was some point in the game where if you don't get like whatever it was, some item and you save after that point, you can't go back to get it. You can't beat the game. Right. <laughs> and I feel like because that came straight from Japan. So I feel like a lot of <clears throat> a lot of uh, game programmers took that and was like, we're not going to do that. We're going to make it so mass and so easy so anybody could sit and play. Right. Also, you said something about um, old people with reaction videos on YouTube. Yeah. And then you start talking about Game Th Grand Theft Auto. <laughs> like a week ago, this is completely side topic, but I, we're, we keep it raw here on Optimize. Um There was a video of like an old woman playing Grand Theft Auto. And there's a part where like the guy goes in and he goes, is that her, is, is that his wife or his hooker? And then she's like, I hate you. And then takes a big swig of a bottle and she goes, must be his wife. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, see, anybody can play this. That's right. Yeah. I mean, seriously. And, and we have a lot of fun. Although we, we play other, uh, what I, one of my favorite shows is we do a Wednesday night weird show. 
and it's games that are offbeat and just bizarre, like I Am Bread, where you actually play a slice of bread and you have to like roll around on countertops and try to toast yourself. What? It's really weird. Yeah. <laughs> what? Wait, wait. What platform is that for? It's on Steam. It's on Steam. All right, we're gonna have to yeah. put a link. We're gonna have to put a link to that. I yeah. Am Bread. I'll get it's, the it, link. I'll get the link to that, people, and I'll put it in the show notes because everyone's gonna play that. Or like what the I, Goat Simulator. Have you played Goat Simulator? Uh, yep, Goat Simulator. We played that a few times. Um, you, you know what I discovered because having not been covering games for a while, you know, I kept I kept tabs on things, but mostly like console games. And I didn't have a PC up until February when I built this custom PC to to do Angry Dad Gamer. Because honestly, if you're doing games, I mean, I, I could have gone, you know, with. Uh, virtualization or you know a dual boot system or something with a mac but it's just so much easier to believe it or not deal with windows pc when it comes to gaming um because of the video card you can swap it out and all that sort of thing it, you know it was just made more sense um but what one of the things that i discovered is that there's been a real renaissance in the indie game world because you have, and and you'll appreciate that, I think your listeners will appreciate this, guess what? The tools have become simpler and more accessible. They've become less expensive, and the hardware needed has become less expensive. I mean, this is all like Moore's Law and all these other things have combined with digital distribution. Right. You know, just like the App Store, to where, I mean, Steam is basically a game app store, Right. And all of those things kind of combined with the, you know, explosion in the game industry in general to mean that you can go, you know, you can spend three weeks on this kooky game like I Am Bread or whatever, release it, and before you know it, like PewDiePie is playing it, and now you've got a million downloads. Right. That's kind of what happened. We had Ryan Cash on uh, two episodes ago, the guy who's do the guy who owns the company who does Alto's Adventure. Mm-hmm. And... You know, I'm still I, I was playing it for like two months before I talked to him. And now that I don't, I'm still playing it like I, I'm playing it like on the subway trying. I'm stuck on something. But like these. But everybody always talks about that. Everybody always wants to. Anyone who comes to me and goes, I, I want to build a game. I want to build a game. And I always say to them, like the tool. You're right. The tools are more accessible. They're, they're, they're easier to come by. But there's still so much involved with it because like anybody can make, let's say, uh, not what was that? Not Angry Birds. What was that other bird? Flappy Birds. Yeah. Right. Where he like ripped off a couple of things and he made this game and whatever it is and big and it got all this news. But like, just because you do that doesn't necessarily mean that you're gonna, it's gonna be good. And if you want to make a game, it has to be good enough for these people who are popular in the gaming community to try it and put a Twitch video up about it. That's right. So it it it's kind of like a double edged sword, right? Because the tools are more accessible, they're cheaper, but if you don't have a good game, it doesn't make a difference how cheap you if you built it for 5 bucks or 5000 bucks, if it's not good, <laughs> right, or fun or work or if it's not like, you know, people have expectations of what games should be like now. That's right. Um, well, and and you have the same phenomenon that you had with video, right? So when television was the only game in town and broadcast television I'm speaking of, uh, when that was the only game in town, you had three major networks, you know, and, and PBS and then, you know, your weirdo UHF channels. But it was ABC, NBC, CBS. When right. cable came in, all of a sudden you had more channels to fill, which meant that the cost of production had to come down. So the market adjusted for that. Now you've got the Internet and you've got things like YouTube. 
and you're competing with kids like Connor Franta on YouTube who has a bunch of great cameras, a bunch of time, uh, talented friends who help him out, and you know he's perfectly groomed. And the kid's like 16 years old, and I bring this up because my daughter's obsessed with him. But, uh, <laughs> but you know that's so you think about that. That's what happened in games. Also, I mean, more people doing this, the tools more accessible. That means more people are doing this. It means you've got more competition. And you're right, the bar keeps getting higher and higher and higher. You can't do things on YouTube today that could have built you a huge audience just four or five years ago. Or even four or five months ago at this point. Yeah, you know? yeah, absolutely. So it's it's the same. And, you know, I say there's this explosion in indie games. It's like that's true, and it is a double-edged sword because there's also a bunch of crap out there. I, I saw that there was a, I can't even remember the name of the game, and honestly, it's a crap game, so don't get it. But these guys made a game that you go around. It's like a mass murder game, basically. You go around killing people, and it's like, security camera footage that you're seeing and there's the brutal executions and all that. and it was deliberately made to just shock people and you know usually when you create art in a way that has this message uh, very specific like you're kind of obsessed on that message whether it's a movie or music or whatever it tends to be diluted because of that message that you're trying to foist on people and in this case they just wanted to make something shocking and so the gameplay itself is apparently pretty craptastic and uh, and you know, but that's, that's great, what you're going to real get. quick. That's a great word. I love that. <laughs> Sorry, Continue. I use that a lot in my consulting. Actually, oh, that's fair. <laughs> yeah, but uh, but yeah, yeah, you're, that's right. You've got more competition, and it's the same in the app store, right? You know, it's it's easier than ever now to to create software, and so you have that much more competition. That's why people come to me and they say, "I want to build an app," and I usually just say, "Don't." <laughs> um, and I'm not, and, and for the, my listeners, like you guys know me, like I'm not, I'm not being, I'm not trying to be rude about this, but the fact is, is like, there are so many versions of the same mm-hmm. thing out there. Like take, take sign my pad, for example. Okay. Uh, we were first or second to market back in 2011 when the app store opened up, we got written up actually after my time at Tua, Tua wrote an article about us because of something we were doing with iCloud or whatever it is. And that, and then, and, or no, it wasn't the iCloud thing. You guys wrote about that Wired Magazine blew us up and all this stuff, and we got a lot of downloads. But then what happened after that? There are now like 15 to 20 versions of PDF signature applications. And while I'm not saying that they're better or worse than mine, probably worse, um, the fact is, is that if you're going to come to me and say, <clears throat> I have an idea for an app and then you explain it as, oh, it's this thing plus this thing like that. Those two things exist like they're not that original ideas can't be made. But the fact is is that the app world is changing. The gaming world is changing. All these things are changing. And and people really need to think about like what really is going to be needed in four, five, six months from now, a year from now or whatever it is and start working on that. And I think it's the same thing in gaming, right? Because, like you said, there's a lot of crappy games out there, and the, and the, and the indie game revolution is upon us, you know. Um, and we're seeing even real production companies put out less games per year because they want to put so much into it. Going back to Final Fantasy for a second, like uh, the company who makes it, Square Enix, <clears throat> made one of my favorite games of all time, Kingdom Hearts. Yeah, love Kingdom Hearts, one and two. I hate all the little side games that they made. <laughs> um, but Kingdom Hearts 3, which 
I've been waiting for Kingdom Hearts 3 for like, what, three years now? Because they want to take their time and do it right. Whereas so many other people would be like, let's just get it out the door. Let's just get it out the door. And again, that's a different dichotomy with software. Software where like, get version one out the door where games, you can't do that. It's it's a really like, it's just so broad now. You, you really need to know where you want to be in six months. And can you be there? And can you do it the right way? For certain things, and on the other side, you can say get it out quick and, and flip it and do whatever, but you need to have some other way of backing that up or, or being able to sell those things. Uh, I don't know. It's, it's a tough. We live in a tough world, Victor. It it is tough, and you know <laughs> the the whole concept too of I mean with with Scrum, which you know a lot of people use. Uh, I mean, if you're an indie shop, I don't know how super valuable that is. I've, I've I'm I'm sure it is valuable, and it's certainly going to be better than the damn waterfall method of of your. But uh, but what I'm finding is that uh, with games in particular, it's very difficult to do that minimum viable product because you don't want to release something that's so unfinished that people are like, Ugh, you know. I mean, you have to have the graphics kind of have to be on point to right. begin with, <clears throat> and. Um, but it is interesting. You can do it in a in a smart way. And in fact, I am bread is an interesting story in that regard because he did start with just this one like mode basically, and uh, he's added. You know, you can be a bagel, you can be a cracker, you can be a baguette. <laughs> I mean, which sounds crazy, but each one of those is a very different mechanic actually, and uh, with different goals entirely. And then only recently, like about a month ago. They finally basically finished the game, so now there's a story that's involved in this, and it has like a epilogue and a prologue and all of these. Other. Before the prologue was basically just this one screen of like a telegram, and it was sort of like if you didn't really understand what the hell was going on, you'd be like, I I don't know what that's about, you know, that's weird. Um, but now it like actually explains that you the reason you're bred is that you've come to life, and you're this the guy who you like you're in his house, he's going crazy. Because no one believes that bread has come alive. There's a story there. Yeah, exactly. And and that what was interesting is that um, you know he didn't have to do that, but he started with minimum viable product of this one level, let's say, and then added those over time. And but that one level was enough to get the attention of some big YouTubers, and so that's how he was able to you know the success from that he was able to continue to polish the product until it's right. really just amazing now. Sometimes people just get lucky, though. That's true. Right. That is very true. Because like this, you know, we can say, because people would say, oh, I made an MVP of my game and no one picked it up. You know, maybe it's luck. Maybe it's timing. Maybe it's the concept. Maybe it's the graphics. Maybe it's this. You know, you can go on and on and on. But I think one of the big things that people need to learn about is the ability. And, and you said this earlier, like the ability to pivot, you know, and mm -hmm. change on the fly. And I feel that. As we come to a close, I want to put my, my closing words is that I feel that you as a person, because I've known you for a long time now, have done have have epitomized the, the pivoting going from a commenter on a web blog to running this because Tua was a big thing. There were a lot of people working under you mm -hmm. to leaving that all behind, not going on to the new iteration of it. Um, and going off and doing your own thing and, and doing your comedy and doing the, the magic tricks. And if this wasn't an audio podcast, we'd have you do one. Um, <laughs> and doing the angry dad gamer and speaking and doing all these things and even coming and speaking at Aces, which, you know, I feel like like peop, 
the the concept of the pivot which people know about in business really also needs to happen on a personal level and i think you have done an amazing job at doing that well thanks and uh and yeah it it is a uh, it's both a humbling experience in many ways because you you have to kind of go into another doorway that maybe you don't have all of the stored experience that you you know you had from your last adventure and so you go into this new thing <clears throat> Uh, I wasn't a babe in the woods or anything like that, but it's definitely, you know, it's a different landscape. So you just, you have to be aware of what you're doing and you have to look at, uh, you know, this is another fertile ground for me to plow. Um, and if you think of it sort of in the crop rotation, you know, like that, it's like, okay, we've absolutely exhausted this soil, but there's this other patch over here that has fertile soil. So let's try this. And we're doing something similar, but we're going to do it a little bit differently. Um, and you know, and, and that's, you're right. That's really it. You have to be willing to change and be able to adjust your course. Right. That's good. Victor, where can people find you online? They can find me at superpixel.com or angrydadgamer.com. And I'm superpixels on Twitter. I will have all that in the show notes. Thanks so much for being here, man. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. And we'll talk to you soon. Thanks. So my thanks to Victor Aguero Jr. for being on the show and talking about his story and how to to help you tell your story. So please reach out to Victor, and of course all of his links that he mentioned will be in the show notes, including his website and twitch.tv. A couple things coming up, I want to make some quick announcements. First off, I want to announce uh, a big thank you to everyone who listens, right? Thank you for, for being here and taking your time to listen to this podcast. We put a lot into it, and we hope that you guys get a lot out of it. So thank you for listening. Also, something I want you guys to check out, if you ever head over to the Apitalize on Your Idea website, you'll notice that we have a new link up on our menu bar called The Lab, the Apitalizer, the Apitalized Lab. And what this is, is I am starting an accelerator. So you're hearing about it first, way to listen to all the way to the end of the podcast. I'm, uh, we're starting an accelerator in New Jersey, uh, but will be the accelerator will be international application, so you don't have to live in New Jersey to come to it. But I want you guys to sign up to get some more information when it's ready to go. That way, you're already on the list, and we can try to get you this stuff as quickly as possible. So check out AppitalizeOnYourIdea.com and head over to the Appitalize Lab. And we will see you guys at the next episode of Appitalize On Your Idea, the podcast. Thanks for being here. Mm-hmm.